covering all aspects of Milwaukee Brewers baseball. It's time for Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast. Here is your host, Matt Pauley. It is time for another edition of Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast powered by WTMJ Mobile. My name is Matt Pauley. Thanks so much for being tuned in. Another week's worth of Brewers talk coming your way as the Brewers wrap up a 10-game three-city road trip where they go 500. The middle part of that trip, they take three out of four against the Phillies. That was good because they lose the other two series, losing two of three to Chicago and then losing two of three to Atlanta. However, on Sunday, the most recent game uh, as of the recording of this podcast, they did come away with a 10-inning win. So there's your uh, good thing. They go 500 on the road trip. That's what you want. You want to go 500, the old adage, go 500 on the road and win your series at home, and you are going to be in good shape. A lot to get to this week. First off, our normal housekeeping items at the top of the program. If you do listen to the podcast via Apple Podcast, if you don't subscribe already, if you can subscribe, that'd be great. Leaving a ranking and review is great as well. If you want to get in contact with me, best way to do so is via Twitter. Find me at Matt Pauley on air, M-A-T-T-P-A-U-L-E-Y on air. On the podcast this week, we are... (laughs) We are stretching the definition of our social media conversation because WTMJ's Scott Warris is going to be with us. Now, generally, during the social media conversation, it's kind of turned into us talking with folks from uh, the different blog sites like Brew Crew Ball or whatever it might be. Uh, Occasionally, we'll get somebody from one of the other uh, Brewers podcast on. Uh, The funny thing about Scott is he's not on social media. He's not on Twitter. He's not on anything. He doesn't have a Facebook as far as I know. And he's my friend, so I feel like I would know, but maybe not. Maybe I'm saying too much. But here's the thing. He used to be part of the Tripod Podcast, which was a WTMJ mobile podcast, kind of like this one. I don't think it's ever officially gone away, but they haven't recorded one, I think, in like a year, maybe. It's been a really, really long time. Not quite a year, but quite some time. Last week, we had Ashton Rotman on, who is WTMJ sports producer. He was on that. So then I thought, you know what? I'm just going to get all the Tripod guys on at some point on this podcast. So that's kind of what I'm doing. This week is Scott Warris, and we still have Justin Garcia and Greg Hill to get to to talk Brewers with those guys. So if all works out well, and Justin is in the middle of covering the Bucks, so we'll see how long the Bucks go and how busy he is. But if all goes according to plan, we're going to do four straight weeks of being joined by guys from the old Tripod podcast, and that's how we can rationalize putting a guy with no social media presence in Scott Warris in our social media conversation. Week two of a conversation with Brad Ford. It's actually a brand new conversation. Uh, We did not record the whole conversation last week and are just going with part two because we're going through the minor leagues, and if we would have done that... Uh, The information from last week would be a week old. So this week, last week, we did the single-A clubs. Uh, This week, we are going to do double-A Biloxi and triple-A San Antonio with uh, Brad Ford from Brew Crew Brawl. So he will join us in our uh, Down on the Farm segment, which will be coming up later on in the podcast. You know, I was thinking, I do that every once in a while. I was thinking to myself that we, we still don't really know who and what this Brewers team is how good they actually are, what kind of uh, consistency they can find, because the schedule hasn't really allowed them 
to kind of show who they are. I always say, I say this all the time when we're talking about a team that maybe is uh, playing well but beating a lot of bad teams and somebody perhaps discounts their wins because of who they're playing. I always say, yeah, you can only play who's on the schedule. So I'm not, I'm not like discounting that thought. You can only play who's on the schedule. But I look at the way this first month and a half, a little bit more than a month and a half, almost two months now of the season has gone it's odd. And I, I, you can probably say that to a certain extent during the first couple months of any season. I mean, baseball in April and May is not baseball in July and August. Just from a weather standpoint, you know, things start to warm up and uh, it's it's just it flows a little bit better as you get deeper into the season. But I think this year more than other years we haven't really been able to see the Brewers have an opportunity to kind of get into that groove outside for the first couple weeks of the season when they started off really well. Remember, you know, they start out the season taking uh, three of four from St. Louis, and then they sweep Cincinnati, and they took two of three from Chicago. Things were really good, but from that point forward, it's kind of been a roller coaster. And when you look at the schedule since then, and we're not going to go through every single game, but it's we're still early enough in the season where you kind of break things down. Um, you know that that next trip, that series against the Angels was not a good series. That that was that was probably the worst series they had this year when they got swept uh, by the Angels. But then even after that, that's when they started that process of going Dodgers, Cardinals, Dodgers, Cardinals. And you play the same teams over and over. You just get to know them so much. I mean, stuff that we've already talked about on the podcast in previous weeks. So you had that. And then they kind of sort of get into a groove in that first series against the Mets. And then Colorado comes in to Miller Park. But what happens on that third game of the Colorado series? That was the Chase Anderson game where he has a hand laceration and is removed from the start just before the start. And they ended up uh, pitching uh, Jacob Barnes in that game. And things just, it did not, it did not go well. Uh, it that that kind of, and the way that they had to use the bullpen in that game as well uh, was not a good situation, and that impacts that next game. That was when they played those back-to-back games where they gave up 11 innings, and then they seemingly kind of get into a groove again when they're facing the Mets and the Nationals at home. They're able to sweep through both of those series, and then the next thing you know, they go on this uh, long uh, three-city, ten-game road trip, and those are always tough, and it starts in Chicago, and the weather is horrible in Chicago for two of the three games, and it just doesn't it doesn't give them a chance to really be who they are. Uh, and they play well in Philadelphia, but then they go to Atlanta, and that, that's the third leg on a three-city trips, and three-city trips are tough. They're really, really tough. Again, every team deals with them, not trying to make excuses for why they lose two of three to Atlanta, but my point being... This team has still not gotten into that flow of the season where the weather's nice, you're playing different opponents, you're not dealing with weird adversity and things like that. And I'm I'm looking forward to that finally kind of happening as I uh, get deeper into May and then into uh, in, into June. Weather's better, you'll start seeing a bunch of other teams, and I feel like we're going to get a much better idea of who this team actually is. Again, we are going to have uh, Scott Warris from WTMJ coming up in just a few minutes. Brad Ford after that, but let's get to this week's Headlines of the Week. It doesn't matter if it's right in the middle of the summer or winter. 
There's always news about the Brewers. Let's look back at the week that was with Matt's headlines of the week. The big headline is Keston Hira, the overall top prospect in the organization, is called up this past week, and uh, that's big. Travis Shaw ends up going on the injured list. He's got a bit of a wrist. You don't know how legit the wrist thing is. As he talks about it, he said it's very similar to what he dealt with last year, and he tried to play through it last year, and it went really, really bad. So uh, whether they were looking for a reason to put him on the injured list just to kind of give him a break, or whether that injury is a very legit injury and it comes at a good time, either way it's a chance for uh, Travis Shaw to reset a bit. And uh, Shaw is going to go on a minor league rehab assignment this week, probably on Wednesday. And uh, he's already taken some swings in the cage, so he hopes to get that wrist issue taken care of. But more than anything else, he hopes to reset and kind of find that swing. But with him going on the injured list, Keston Hero, the top prospect, he uh, comes up to the big leagues. He gets a couple hits in his first game, hits his first home run of his career on Sunday. So the batting average isn't great so far for Hero, but he's hitting the ball hard seems to be having some troubles uh, with some breaking balls at the early going, but guys, he's a rookie. He's coming up. uh, uh, He'll get that figured out, and uh, we'll talk more about Keston Hero with Brad Ford and a little bit with Scott Warris coming up later on here in the podcast. Speaking of first career home runs, Jacob Nottingham hit his first career home run this past week. That happened on Friday at his first four career RBIs as well. Nottingham ends up on the Major League roster this past week after uh, Manny Pena dealt with a hamstring injury, and uh, he could uh, get into some activities later on in the week. He left the team and went back to Milwaukee for uh, treatment. Jimmy Nelson has one more AAA start on his rehab assignment, and then it appears the Brewers will have to make some sort of decision at that point in time. We don't know what that looks like. We don't know how he fits into the rotation. you got five guys right now who are performing at a, at a fairly high level for the Brewers in terms of the starting rotation, so there's not a clear spot to put Nelson. It's a good problem to have. Uh, right now, you look at Gio Gonzalez, Zach Davies, Alicia Seen, Chase Anderson, and Brandon Woodruff. All of them are pitching well. Anderson making his first start this week after coming off the injured list. Only went four innings, but was very effective in those four innings. Uh, but speaking of effective, Nelson was effective in his most recent rehab start. Uh, he threw five and two-thirds scoreless innings, gave up, uh, struck out eight, gave up three hits and a walk. So, so far so good. One more rehab start for him, and then some sort of decision is going to get made. Christian Yelich had another home run on Sunday. He has 19 home runs, as I talked to you on Sunday night. At this point of the season, he had never had more than six home runs. He has 19, three times as many as he had had at this point of the season at any time previously in his career. That's uh, it's pretty special stuff from the defending National League MVP. And those are this week's Headlines of the Week. After every Brewers game, signing an announcement, bloggers and podcasters hit the web to give their take. Now we bring them all together. It's the Social Media Roundtable, and it starts now. Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast powered by WTMJ Mobile, does continue on. This is kind of an ironic conversation because we call this segment the social media conversation when we generally have, like, podcasters and bloggers and folks like that on. And now I am literally bringing someone on who claims, and you can't find it anywhere, to have zero social media whatsoever. So we're lying to you when we call this the social media conversation. It is WTMJ's Scott Warris making his big debut on the podcast. Hi, Scott. What is is this casting of pod of which you speak? This socialized media 
unfamiliar to me. Normally, I would be like, follow Scott on Twitter at Scott underscore Warris, but that doesn't exist. No, it, it doesn't. It doesn't. It's just a fad. I'm waiting for the next trend to come along. I'll jump on board that. So if you want to follow me, you literally have to find me and then follow me. Yes, just walk behind you. That's Not a, too terribly close, though. No, Because no. if you abruptly stop, you don't want to get, you know. That could get really awkward yes. really fast. So follow me if you like, but keep your distance. Or you don't want to be like Arnold Schwarzenegger and get drop kicked from kick the back. Behind me. <laughs> that was such a weird thing. <laughs> you don't drop kick Arnold. <laughs> he didn't even realize it was a drop kick. He right. just thought he was jostled by the crowd. Yeah, because crowds throng to you, Arnold. Either that or he was just trying to be tough guy Arnold. That's fair. Yeah. So as much as I'd love to do a 20-minute conversation about Arnold Schwarzenegger, let's talk uh, mm-hmm. Brewers baseball. And you're somebody who you very much pay attention to this team on an everyday basis. And for those of you who don't know, Scott can be heard on WTMJ. His normal slot is Saturday afternoons, but he, you might hear more of him in the future. He does sometimes the weekend morning news. He fills in for John Mercure and for Steve Scafidi and all kinds of stuff. The Hernan Perez of the radio station. Yes, very good. That's what I like to call. What myself. position have you? What's your? You know, for Hernan Perez, Ooh, the yeah, okay. uh, the white whale is being able to catch. He is yet <laughs> to catch in a game. What's your white whale? What have you yet to do at WTMJ? I have yet to clean man, the bathrooms. I have yet to man. No, I was going to say quite. I've yet to man. The weather center, okay. I, because I just don't think I'm qualified. I've right. never taken a, a weather class, science, anything. So I don't think that I'll ever catch that white whale. Okay, I'll leave that to the experts. All so. right, that's good. But and yes, uh, this Brewers team—it's mm-hmm. so. And this is where I envy you not being on social media, because <laughs> the I'm so much into social media. I think sometimes I allow a vocal minority to kind of twist my views and thoughts on the way like the general Brewers fan base feels about the club, if that makes any sense. Mm-hmm. And when I'm doing this postgame show every day, it's a very reactionary sort of thing. So social media ends up playing a pretty big role in that. There's a lot of negative feelings, it seems like, about this team. And a couple weeks ago, it was the pitching. Uh, on Saturday after the game, all people wanted to talk about is why this team doesn't bunt enough. And, and I hate that that conversation came back up. It's one of the most infuriating things for me to deal with. So from a very general standpoint, where do you stand on this team right now? I stand, <clears throat> excuse me, I stand very optimistically. Um, for me, and, and I've believed this for a long, it comes down to pitching. It comes down to pitching, and I don't have the numbers in front of me to back it up, but generally speaking, and you correct me if I'm wrong, if you have an upper echelon pitching staff, if the numbers tell you you have an upper echelon pitching staff, you will be competitive. You will vie for a playoff spot. Now, last year, for example, one of the real surprising developments or surprising statistics, and I think you and I even talked about it, I may have texted you about it, is the fact that this was well into August, that the Brewers, I believe, were number one in the National League, and I think second only to Houston in the number of quality starts. Now, you can debate, you know, is quality starts, is that a joke, is that a verifiable, you know, is that really something to, to be proud of anymore? Whatever. But nonetheless, it's a sign of a good pitching staff. Even if they didn't have the names last year, They were getting performances out of their starters that I don't think a lot of people were realizing. And I wasn't realizing until somebody showed me that number. So when it comes to this year, it's all about the pitching. Um, I've I've been impressed by Zach Davies. I don't think he was somebody that we were expecting, at least to this point, this level of performance. 
<clears throat> Never have coffee before you do this. I'm telling you, coffee is a phlegm generator. Side question. Hashtag phlegm generator. <laughs> if you can spell it right, you get a bonus point. Nobody was expecting this out of Zach Davies. Other side of the coin, I think people were expecting more out of Corbin Burns. That has been kind of a... So I'm optimistic because the pitching seems to have stabilized. You can tell me if I'm wrong. It seems like pitching has stabilized over the last three, four weeks or so after a really tough start. And for me, starts with pitching. The lineup will be consistent because all those guys have enough... Uh, in terms of their overall career body of work that tells you what they'll pretty much give you over 162. So I feel confident about the the the, uh, the lineup offensively, that it'll give you what it does and be right there. Defensively, they've been very good. I know it's been rough of late, but for me it all comes down to pitching at the end of the day, and that seems to be coming around. Thus, think, my optimism. I think it's interesting when – so. 40% of the starting rotation from the beginning of the season is no longer in the starting rotation because Corbin Burns is now in the bullpen and Freddie Peralta is something right now. We mm-hmm. thought we were going to see him pitch on Saturday mm-hmm. after Chase Anderson and he didn't pitch. Uh, we're recording this prior to Sunday afternoon's game, so we'll see what happens on Sunday. But those two guys are not in the rotation. Most teams, if they lost 40% of their starting rotation in the first month of the season, Things would not be going well. Their starting pitching would not be getting better. Maybe I'm just the eternal optimist, but I look at Brandon Woodruff, Gio Gonzalez, Zach Davies, and Yuli Shasin. I have a lot of confidence in those four guys in being able to go out every time out and give a pretty solid start. And then Chase Anderson has looked good so far in, in limited opportunity. So to me, I think the starting rotation is actually better now after they lost a couple guys. What's up with Shasin? Because he's not, and I know he got off to a bit of a slow start last year, but he hasn't quite gotten to the level he was for the majority of last season. Is it still early for any concern that he won't get back to that level? Yeah, I I don't think he's pitching that. Now, this last game out against Atlanta, he only goes uh, five innings and he gives up three runs. He, right. That was that was one of those, you know, to use a baseball cliche, he battled through five. <laughs> That's one of the battling through five yeah. games because he was uh, he walked a few. I guess mm-hmm. he only walked one, but it just felt like he was yeah. always in trouble. He didn't seem on. Behind in the count. But you look at his last few games, so three runs and five innings. If that's the worst you get from Chassin, you'll take it. Yeah. Uh, the time before against the Cubs, he that was a game the team lost, but he went six innings allowing uh, two runs, one earned on six hits. That's fine. Against Washington the time before, five innings, two runs on three hits. Colorado before that, six shutout innings. I don't have a problem okay, with what well, Chassin's you know, doing right now. Maybe I'm falling victim to last year what I fell victim to in the it feels like, but the feels like isn't what's happening in reality. Um you know, it is interesting. You, you we're here on the, on the on the pitching note right now, and you talk about all those guys that make up the rotation and how well they're performing for the most part. It is amazing how many fans still don't believe like this pitching staff is good. And I don't think they ever felt last year's starting rotation was good enough to do what, in essence, they did. People want names. Yeah, they want Madison they, Bumgarner. They we, want we Dallas need a number Keuchel. One, and look, of course, th- those are good pitchers. Although you can talk about, there's a reason Dallas Keuchel is not employed by anybody in Major League Baseball right now. There's a reason for that. Um, it, it's just it always strikes me how, and I've, we've all got our groups of friends that we talk about uh, baseball about, and uh, they got to get a number one. They got to get a start. They got to get a name. Don't get me wrong; you can't ever have enough pitching. But to say that. 
They need a name. They need a number one. No, what, what fans are saying, in my opinion, then is we want a name that the entire league recognizes, and we can say, you know, Zach Granke. Maybe they were spoiled when you had him here in town for a couple of years. Bumgarner now currently. We need a name. We need a number one. I think people use the idea of a number one and a name, quote unquote, starter. They use that, or they mean the same thing when they say both. And I, I love the people who say they're. They're one starting pitcher away from being a true World Series contender. They got to Game 7 of the NLC. Isn't getting... They were one of three teams left playing at the end of last season. There was only two teams, and there was the World Series participants who had longer seasons than the Brewers last year. By definition, what weren't they a World Series contender when they're one win away for the World Series? All right, so we've talked about the starting rotation. The bullpen. Uh, but my thinking has been... The odds of the bullpen as a whole, as a whole, being as good and as effective as they were last year, the odds of that just were not that good simply because that's how baseball is. I remember former GM Doug Melvin always said that he had kind of a philosophy that if a bullpen guy or a closer, I think is how Melvin's, if a closer's good one year, chances are that second year, you know, could be a little rocky. Yeah, and he would it, never spend big money on right, relief pitchers. No, no, yeah. he would cycle through them like in in two year increments because he felt the longevity of a, of a bullpen guy or a closer specifically just wasn't to be had. Um, your thoughts? I guess I'll turn the tables on you. Your thoughts on the bullpen right now? I think it is vastly improved. I think you can look and see Jeremy Jeffress finding that velocity again, and that is very much a big thing. I know Josh Hader has given up a few more home runs than he did last year, mm-hmm. but he would, he had a historically significant yeah. season he last year. He was not year. going to be right. as good this year as last he year. He still has a sub-3 ERA, and his best stuff is better than just about anybody's best stuff who's pitching in baseball mm-hmm. right now. I don't think this bullpen, and I, I'm I'm very comfortable with Junior Guerra. I, I'm comfortable yeah. with um, with Matt Albers. Even I think he's put together a pretty good year uh, this year. Which, and, which he was doing, and you've made this point on the air, which he was doing last year until he got injured. Right. And remember, he kept that injury from Council and Stearns for a while there. His performance went down, and then they all realize he fesses up that, oh, by the way, I've been fighting through some injury issues. And, and, it, and it was just never the same and again. Never the same it was sense. never the same yep. again. Yep. I... I don't think this bullpen group is going to be the bullpen group at the end of the season. You look at what David Stearns has done, whether it was Anthony Swarzak a couple years ago, whether it was a, a Joaquim uh, Soria last year, mm-hmm. uh, Xavier Cedeno last yeah. year. You Forget know, you, about some of those guys. You can, yeah, but they came in yes. and they, they gave the team good innings. And what those guys did was they kind of – Stabilize the bullpen. Where may, may, that's not your eighth and ninth inning guys. Swarzak was a bit at times, uh, and uh, you know what? Swar- I'd love to see them go get Swarzak again. Where is he's, he now? He's in Seattle, okay. so they'll be selling guys off. If you can go get Swarzak, and I don't know who's eating that salary right now. I don't know if the Mets are still eating it or if some of it went to Seattle. I'm not sure about the the financial aspect of it. But if you can get Swarzak again, go get Anthony Swarzak. I thought he was a really good fit with this team. But my big thing is. There's two or three guys in the bullpen right now that I'm pretty sure are going to be in the bullpen all year long. And outside of that, I think there will be another two or three guys that get acquired. I've got a phrase that I bandy about with friends of mine. I always say if they start complaining about a move or a non-move or something, I just say, look, in Stearns, I trust. You come in with a clean slate. And, and then you build your belief or your confidence in a general manager based on his body of work. I can count on one hand and probably have a finger or two left 
the number of mistakes that David Stearns has made. Um, who was and it one was obviously Jonathan Scope, right? And what did Stearns do? I made a mistake, cut ties, and move on. Neftali Fleas. and and Neftali yeah. Fleas really was the first. Other than that, has he made a mistake? His 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 good moves vastly outweigh his bad moves. Oh, the left-handed reliever who got let go two thirds of the way through the season last, last year. Last year, yeah. Oh, geez, give well, me a second. Okay, but even but, so, there's three. Yeah, I, still I can't got even two remember fingers. the guy's name. I still like, got two that's fingers left. I just have such confidence in what we're talking bullpen right now, in what Stearns will do if they're in contention, and I'd expect them to be, if they're in contention around the trade deadline. He'll make moves, and, and his ability to identify those effective guys that can be brought in out of the bullpen, sixth, seventh, eighth, even a ninth inning if necessary. I've got all the confidence in the world that that if and when a move is needed. He'll make a move, and he'll make the right move. Boone Logan. Yes! Boone Logan. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, I completely, totally out of sight, out of mind. Yep. Okay, so Boone Logan, uh, Jonathan Scope, who, by the way, just, I mean, it's worth pointing out, even Scope, he won them one game with that grand slam off of Bumgarner. Yep. They win that one game. They force 163. You can play that he whole game He had another really day. big hit. Two really big hits to, that kind of led to some wins. So, anyway, but you're right. In terms and of a long-term thing. he's turned it back around playing with a Twins team that's pretty good so far this year. Surprisingly good. I don't. Are the Twins your biggest surprise in baseball? Are they still 10 over or at least 10 over? I, I They were 12 <laughs> over earlier this week, but I think nonetheless. The, the Rays probably still are. Although they dropped out of first now. The Yankees, you know what? The Yankees should be some level of surprise with all the injuries that they've yeah. had. Holy cow. But yeah, the Twins are the Twins are 30 and 15. Even better than I thought. Twins are 30 and 15 as we are recording on Sunday afternoon. That's wow. incredible. New manager, right? Yeah. Because um, Molitor got let go. But anyway... Ray's got a new manager, don't they? Rocco Baldelli. Rocco Baldelli. No, yeah. Former yeah. Ray, Rocco yes. Baldelli, so. now the manager in Minnesota. Yep. That, like, honestly, like, I'm a baseball guy. You're a baseball guy. It took me a second to figure out who the Twins manager is. How If we walked, if we walked out of this building right oh. now in down Capitol and started asking people, I hold out a $100 bill, which might be a stupid thing to do in this part of town. Careful. Um, yeah, we, you want to, <laughs> I'll watch from the window right. as you do that. I need security. <laughs> Name the Twins manager, and this hundo is yours. <laughs> Let's see uh, how many people can do it. <laughs> Who's your biggest surprise in the National League? I think Cincinnati in a negative sense is a surprise. I thought they'd be better. Well, the surprising thing is that for the first time since, what, they moved into the Great American Ballpark, their pitching is outstanding, but their offense has been futile. Yeah, they're 21-25. and 25. I thought mm-hmm. I thought they were the third best team in the league. I thought it went, um, I thought, I don't know, at least fourth best. That's it. I thought they were very similar to the Cubs. I, I thought the Brewers and the Cardinals were the two best teams in the NL Central, no. and then I thought the Cubs and the Reds really? were going to be kind of in that second group. The Cubs are still the Cubs. Yeah, they've got so much talent on that starting rotation. They've got names and just flat out talent. Yeah, they've got uh, names. No, no, but they've got. I mean, come on, they've got names and they've got talent. That, that Cubs are still the team to beat, and I thought they were. They have been from the beginning. There's just they have too much. To be as I say bad, but heck, they won ninety five games last year. Um, Cubs are still the Cubs. Cubs are still the team to beat. And right now, they're about a couple games up on the Brewers. I thought three teams from the NL Central, and I still think this: three teams from the NL Central get in the postseason with the Brewers, the Cardinals, and the Cubs. Brewers, really? You yeah, s- I, you I still think both, feel that way. Yes, or? I do. Okay. I think both wild cards come from the Central. 
Hmm. Uh, they definitely, definitely, the East is horrible. The he- East is atrocious. Yeah. So then you look to the West, you look at the Dodgers, you look at the Padres, um, and with all due respect to the Diamondbacks, they're yeah. they're going to fall off. But I think the Padres will fall off eventually. Okay. I mean, well, then, I just then think you agree. They've got too many young guys. Then that, you have to agree. I guess I haven't thought all the way through, Matt. But yeah, Dodgers out West, still the Dodgers. East is going to get one. So yeah, you're looking at. I mean, I guess them. there's a scenario where the Phillies and Braves. I guess, mm. but no, I don't think the Braves are better than the Cubs, Brewers, or Cardinals. well. Then the question becomes: Brewers, Cubs, and Cardinals are they just going to bash each other so that's, much yeah. that then either Philly or Atlanta can right. claim the other? Yeah, wild that's card. if that happens, that's how it ends up uh, happening. Uh, this week, Keston here gets called up. Do you get jazzed up about uh, top prospects coming up, making the big league debut? Um. Jazzed up. I would probably this is the most jazzed up I have been for a prospect being called up since probably Gallardo. Okay. I remember how odd is this? I remember exactly where I was. <laughs> this is kind of odd. When Giovanni Gallardo made his first major league start. And before that, you probably have to go back to Braun. Braun, Gallardo, and here. You know. So let me pause yeah. hold on. Let's t- yeah. uh, let me pause you right there because what has since happened with Lewis Brinson kind of taints uh, his major league debut because he's part of the Yelich trade and he's done nothing since then. But I thought there was just as much pomp and circumstance about Brinson coming up as there was Hira. First of all, I'm more of a pomp and pageantry guy than pomp and circumstance. Alliteration always is good. But that aside, you know, the thing with Lewis Brinson is everybody gets so upset when, I say everybody, that's that's our exceptions. When Top prospects are traded. Top prospects are I look, nothing about those guys has been proven and I don't realize Brinson had had a cup of coffee in the majors by that when he was traded. Nothing has been proven about those guys. N- nothing has been they have done nothing at the major league level. Whereas if you can get proven major league talent in a trade for guys that haven't done anything at the major league level, for me it's it's almost always worth the risk. We go back to the Sabathia trade. I mean, who who was the key cog in that? Matt Laporta flamed out. Turns out that Brantley was the the kind of other guy in the deal, and he's turned out to be a really good player. But I never get jazzed up for trading of prospects. I wasn't that jazzed up for Lewis Brinson, I guess. Okay. Keston Hira, yeah, to some extent. But look, if, if he comes up and so far, you know, a week, not even a week, he's shown that he can, you know, certainly hold his own. He'll he'll be your second baseman if all goes well. What for the next decade? That would be the plan. Potentially, things would be going. That well. would be ideal. Yeah. So let me play a little devil's advocate with you, please. Do. Because I I do agree. With, now I think there are some prospects that are can't miss prospects. There are very, very few, few. Very very few. Very. Steven Strasburg was one of those guys. Bryce Harper was probably one of those. Chris guys. Bryant. Okay. Chris I Bryant. Would be yeah. Absolutely. List, yeah. So there are some. Let's, yes. Let's yes. remove those guys from the conversation right, for a second. Right. And. The reason I, for me personally, the reason I'm very cautious when it comes to trading away these top level prospects, even the ones who are not what we're just talking about, Mm -hmm. is because these guys to me represent being able to sustain winning because of the economics of it, the club control. You're able to go get a guy who should be a pretty good major league player and have them at a certain cost level for an extended amount of time, where if you trade them for an established major league talent, there's a higher cost that goes along with that. So that's my – when I when I mm-hmm. see a trade 
involving prospects, my thought sometimes goes to how is this going to impact the team even down the line? Well, that that's the debate that I assume every general manager has. What is the transaction you're making for that proven major league talent that can help us here and now? I still I still have a good friend of mine who is still upset over the Sabathia. How are you? How are you upset? He's upset that they got rid of that they lost Brantley in that deal because Brantley could be helping you here and now, possibly potentially. But if if you can get as close to a guaranteed proven star who can help you win, if you are indeed in a position to win, I guess. You know, I, when, I, when I, I speak my philosophy on this, I'm talking from a perspective and from a, a, a vantage point of helping a team that is ready to win here and now, like what the Brewers did, uh, you know, recently with Yelich. I mean, that was done because they thought, Stearns thought, and Stearns I trust, Stearns thought, look, what do we have now? What does the division look like? We can make a move. He was clearly proven right. If you are a fringe playoff team, or even if you're, you're not expected, and a GM is trying to, you know, make a Hail Mary pass prospects for a, a proven guy that really won't put you over the top, yeah, then I would definitely pump the brakes. But if you can win here and now and that guy's gonna put or guys are gonna put you over the top. Because next year, here here's the thing, Matt. Next year is proven to nobody. I mean, we've seen it in all sports. You don't know. Not only do you have the unknown factor of an unproven major, minor league, an unproven major league talent by bringing in a minor leaguer, you don't know what happens next year. You just you don't know. You can have injuries on the major league roster, and then the minor league guys aren't able to do what you were hoping they could do. And if you have the opportunity to win here and now, I'm much more. Let's go for it. Realistically, let's go for it than I've ever been. He is Scott Warris. You we're can done. Find, That's it. Yeah, you can find I him can on keep Twitter. Going. No, you can't. No, you can't find no, you me on can't Twitter. find him on Twitter. You can follow me. Just period. Well, yeah, that's the end of the sentence. Yep. Come to the studios. Know when he's gonna get off the air. Figure out what kind of car he drives. And for those of you on the Upper East Side, look for Matt walking down Capitol Drive, waving that one hundred dollar bill in the air. Who's the Twins manager? Matt, <laughs> come in, Matt. I'm concerned about you. <laughs> All right. Thanks, Scott. Thank you. The future of the Brewers organization has never been more important than it is right now. It's time to get an inside look at what's taking place throughout the Brewers minor league affiliates as we go down on the farm. Brewers Extra News, the podcast is powered by WTMJ Mobile. We do continue on. It is uh, week two of our back-to-back conversations with Brad Ford from Brew Crew Ball. And if you weren't with us last week, you can always go back and listen in the archives. But instead of going through... Uh, the entire minor league system over one conversation with Brad. Now when we bring him on, we're going to stretch it over a uh, two weeks' time because we just like to take as much time from Brad as possible. Hi, Brad. Hello. How are you today? I'm good. Before we start going, I know you uh, were lamenting from last week's conversation somebody you did not mention. So before we get to double and triple A, who do you need to mention? Oh, so Max Lazar from the Wisconsin Timber Rattlers is a player I think that everyone should be kind of watching for. Um, more of a control guy, has high 80s, low 90s fastball, but he's 19, and that projection shows that the velocity should come up a couple of picks, probably to sit in the low 90s at uh, 1C matures. But like through 28 innings pitched so far, he has 43 Ks, he only has eight walks, his 161 ERA, 
has a great mix of pitches, has shown really advanced knowledge of pitching so far for age 19 at A-ball. Um, and I think he's someone that Brewers fans really need to take note of. Um, he just really keeps hitters off balance while locating very well, but mixing in his breaking pitches exceptionally well on top of that. And he is definitely someone who has become on my radar as someone who probably even uh, comes onto my personal top prospects. Hmm. And um, yeah, it's just someone who I've grown to really be fond of in the system uh, as one of the, not only for his performance, but just the way he goes about uh, pitching and finding success on the mound. Uh, I mean, he's, he has an exceptionally low ERA because of his advanced approach that he has while he is on the uh, mound and the way he works hitters. So he's he's just, yeah, a blast to watch and someone who is speeding through the system. All right, let's uh, let's start going through Double uh, A Biloxi. I, I feel bad saying about what I'm about to say. Of all the of all the affiliates. Like to me, this one, and, and there's some compelling guys. I'm not trying to take shots at anybody uh, from an individual standpoint, but to me, there's, uh, I kind of feel like this team is maybe the least compelling of the four from a prospect standpoint. Uh, agree or disagree? Definitely agree. It he just the level itself doesn't contain a lot of guys who have projectable futures. It doesn't contain like it right now probably the most he has one of the most exciting guys in the system but i don't know how much longer he'll be there in drew rasmussen um but other than that it has jake gatewood who's coming back from injury it has trent grisham um and then a couple of pitching prospects who two are really exciting in rasmussen shoepack and then you have diplan who is searching for an identity in the system and is hoping to actually find himself and secure himself after starting the season really badly. I'm sure we'll get into him in a little bit, but there's not a lot of very high ceiling caliber here. I think everywhere else you go in the system, you look at at least one player per level who could be a star. And I think that's very much lacking at double A for the Brewers. Let's start by talking about Jake Gatewood because he got a late start to the season coming back from injury. I mean, he's only played six games so far as we talk on uh, on Sunday evening. Actually, I think they're in action as we're speaking right now, uh, if I've got that right. Uh, but at this point with Gatewood, it's more about him playing games than it is about the numbers that he puts up, right? Right. If he had actually finished all that season before tearing his ACL, he would be at AAA. This is just to give him a level that he is familiar with. Um, when he was at AA last year, he started off very slow, then was in the next couple of months doing exceptionally well before tearing his ACL. So unfortunately right now he's just going through and dealing with that injury and coming back and trying to return to form. Um, you can tell he is still getting used. He actually found some decent patience and was actually starting to take walks. He used to be the type of player who took rock walks so rarely that I actually hit an alert for it when he did it uh, back in the lower <laughs> minors. Um, but so he's trying to get back to that. He'll always be a high strikeout guy. That's not going away, but he has three hits, two are on home runs that he hit very well, but you can tell just by watching him, he does look a little bit like he is still getting some comfort and some feeling back to facing live pitches. 
so for him, I think it's more of a patience thing. He, to me, has corner utility ceiling, so he could be a guy who he's actually playing third base right now uh, pretty regularly for the Shuckers, which I think is good for him because when he's playing opposite, or with Lucas Ursig in the uh, on the same team, he mainly plays first base, and I think him having the ability to play third, first, and then a corner outfield in the future is probably his best chance to make a minor, her major league roster. Um, he, of course, has good power. Uh, he was finally starting to show some of his plus power in only 94 games at 19 homers, which is the highest of his career up into up until this point. Um, as he matures, he always hits a little bit more homers than he did before. Um, so he still has good potential, but while he's coming back from this injury and getting back into the groove of things, I think as fans, we just had to be patient with him and let that just continue going. The two guys who are leading the team in terms of batting averages, Luis Avilas Jr., who's at 282, and Michael O'Neill at 281. These are a couple guys that I don't feel like uh, they're they're not jumping off the page in terms of prospect rankings, uh, but they're, they've got the best offensive numbers right now from an average standpoint. And we'll get into the guy who's got the best power numbers in a moment. Do any of those? Do either of those guys, Avilas or O'Neill, are they doing much for you at this point? Um, not especially. Avilas is still young, but he, he doesn't do a lot exceptionally well. He makes good contact, uh, but you look at his slugging percentage and his 355, and without being an exceptionally high walker, or he does steal bases pretty well. He's, had, he's peaked at 38 in his career. Um, he's a speed on base guy. Um, I just don't feel like he has the tools to really be anything more than a utility player. Um, his defense is fine, but he's repeating at double a, he, they do move him around and try to get him some diversity in his diversity in his positions, um, especially shortstop second base. Um, and he's good at shortstop, but nothing really stands out to you about what he does. Um, he, I've noticed he even gets kind of streaky in the way he plays. Um, and at 24 at double a, um, kind of slowly chugging through the system. He doesn't really excite me. He comes off to me as more uh, depth for the system. Right now, he's in the midst of what would be, if things continue, his best season in the Brewers minor leagues, and it's still not very awe-inspiring. Michael O'Neill, for me, comes off as more of a flyer for the team as a guy that they're taking to really – fill and make sure they have people playing in their system um he doesn't he's looked really good at double a but he's 26 mm-hmm. uh probably in this point of his advancement should be playing at triple a they signed him as a free agent or they might have claimed him i don't remember specifically but he was acquired in the off season and for, to me he's just a guy who's there to really plug the hole in a place where they didn't have what they felt like was enough outfielders and make sure they have enough bodies to field the team at double a and field the competitive team because for the guys who are developing they want them to find success of every player maybe the number that most jumps out from an offensive standpoint is the 10 home runs from weston wilson is there reason to be excited about him you know weston wilson has always been a guy i've kind of kept my eye on um he can play quite a few positions uh he projects kind of like we were just talking about with jake gatewood as a corner outfield guy He's not great at third base. He can play second base if he really has to. Uh, predominantly a first baseman if, or a corner outfielder if you really want to have a safe defensive position for him. But he has a pretty interesting bat. Um, 
And I think he's always shown that power swing and really an ability to hit for power. But now it's really coming to a head. And those 10 home runs early in the season, his previous career high was 14 last year when he split time between Carolina and then got a few games in at Biloxi. Um, I do think he's worth paying attention to. He walks well. Uh, he doesn't really strike out a ton compared to more uh, other power players in the system. Um he, I mean, he's slugging over 527, which is always great. He's really good at getting, driving the ball into the gaps and getting extra bases. I think offensively, he is a prospect of interest. He can be that guy who can come up and start if you need him to at first or a corner outfield position and fill in that gap and play well enough to get you through those periods where you don't have a star in those positions or you don't have a player who... Um, is above average in those positions and he can carry you through not necessarily with his defense. He'll be a little liability pretty much everywhere, but first at defense, but with his bat and his ability to just create runs in a single swing. And I think you can by him playing fall league. That was the Testament to the Brewers taking notice and saying, okay, this guy can really be a impactful player for us in the future. So they gave him extra bats in the fall league this past fall and, I think they have a lot of confidence in what he can do as well. Brewers fans always enjoy keeping tabs on players that come over in notable trades, and Eric Kratz became such a fan favorite, his trade automatically becomes notable, even though he's not even with the Giants anymore. C.J. Inahosa comes over in that trade. Got off to a nice start. He's in a little bit of a slump right now, so his numbers are a bit lower than they were even a week ago. Uh, kind of the same question. Any reason to be excited about him and think that he's got uh, potential to continue to move up the system? Before the season started, I wrote an article about him, and really he's he's a high-contact guy, but he doesn't really have the results to show for it. Um, he's hit basically 260 throughout his minor league career. For being a high-contact player, you want a little bit more performance out of that. For So... He's, he's really not anyone who excites me. He doesn't have power. Uh, I mean, he isn't even a slugging over 300 right now. Like you said, he is in a bit of a funk, but uh, in his couple of instances where he got to play double A beforehand when he was in the giant system, never really showed that he was had the tools to justify advancing him past that. Um, I really think that, they just took a player back for him because they could get a player. And he was a guy who slotted right into an area where they needed someone to play where they needed bodies at Biloxi because they didn't have the prospects at the double a level. And they wanted to advance some of their other players up to triple a. So I think he was just for them, uh, you know, someone where they didn't have to go out and sign another minor league free agent. They just acquired him in the Kratz trade, call it done. I really don't see anything special about, his ability aside from that he can play multiple defensive positions last position player to talk about from biloxi trent grisham still on the top 30 list according to uh, mlb pipeline just barely coming in at number 30 would you would you call this a make it or break it year for him to an extent i don't think like he's i don't think the team's just going to quit on him if he doesn't make it um but I think he, for fans, he's already reached a bus status. I have, in the games I've watched, already seen that he's hitting the ball harder than I've really seen him hit before. And power was part of the advertisement for him coming out of the draft. They said, you know, he can have average power and above average hit tool. Uh, he definitely has not showed that above average hit tool. But um, 
his swing has gotten a little faster and he's shown a lot of speed. Uh, up until this in his minor league career, he steadily progressed every level. And this is the first time they're making him repeat. They've always challenged him to the point of, I think, kind of forcing some of the struggles that he's gone along and not giving him the break that maybe he needed to find success. Um, so I, I think as fans, we do need to be a little bit more patient with him. Um, but I mean, the failures have been abundant and clear. Um, he does walk a ton, but he doesn't do anything else really exceptionally well to stand out. Uh, there was the one year in Carolina when he stole 37 bases, but aside from that, he hasn't showed the speed to really be a base uh, threat. And he doesn't her aside from all his walks, he doesn't get on bat her base enough with his bat to really be that much of a threat in that regard. Um, I have seen improvements to his mechanics. I've seen improvements to his ability to get hard contact. So I'm a little high on him this year. I would say if he hits 250 and gets a slugging above 400, uh, we should be pretty ha happy with that season. Um, if he doesn't do that, I don't think it's worth giving up on him, and I don't think the team's going to give up on him, but they're definitely not going to go out of their way to protect him in their system. It's just going to be if they can keep him around cool, maybe he'll turn into something later on. Maybe he's a late bloomer, which is definitely a possibility. Um, or maybe he's just a first-round bust. All right, let's get to some of the pitchers. And uh, top prospect, for according to MLB Pipeline, that's on the roster is uh, Trey Shupak. So far, so good. 2.39 ERA, 33 strikeouts to 12 walks and 52 and two-thirds innings. Has given up just 14 runs. All the numbers look great on this guy. Yeah, the only thing that's concerning me is his strikeouts are a little bit down. Uh, I think that was more one start. He had a really low strikeout number but went pretty deep into the game. Uh, I think the big takeaway is he has been going into a lot of games pretty deep lately. Um, really been able to be the ace of that staff. Um, he has a great feel for pitching, but there's a couple of things that will worry prospect evaluators getting into him. And we'll get into that a little bit later. But, you know, uh, he's only had two starts under five innings. Otherwise, he's a guy who can go six or seven regularly. Um with his stuff, his combination of stuff, you'd really think he has four above pitches that can be above average in the future. But because none of them are an out pitch, he doesn't get strikeouts. All of them are just pitches that can really keep hitters off balance. Um, his fastball isn't, especially for a guy who's six foot five, who looks like he can throw mid to high 90s, it's regularly sits in the high 90s or low 90s and every now and then you see a 95 in there but really you're talking 92 93 in terms of what you're getting on the radar gun with him um the slider and changeup look good but neither of them are those strikeout pitches that you see they just induce bad contact and the worry for me with trey shupak is that contact comes in the form of fly balls and fly balls don't really play well at miller park Thankfully, we have an ex a very good defensive outfield that can protect them, but if they carry out, there's nothing you can do about those. Um, so I think if there was a way to increase his strikeout numbers, he'd probably be a little bit more compelling of a prospect. Also, his weight has been mentioned as a concern. For me, I never really get on prospects too much about their weight. Uh, he's six foot five. 240 which is probably the same as being like 200 if you're six feet um when you look at like a weight scale and progressive growth uh is it hold on less than ideal for an athlete weight scale and progressive growth those are the first time those words have ever been spoken on this podcast sorry go on <laughs> you know there's got to be a first for everything um so 
yeah, he like locates very well, but um, the weight doesn't bother me. It's more that he doesn't get out just with his pitches uh, in the zone. You know, for a guy with a few above average pitches, I would want a few more strikeouts, and he just can't get those. And he's really a back to the end of the rotation guy, which is really a good development and is something fans should be excited with. But he's not one of those prospects I really feel is going to come out and wow anyone once he comes to the major leagues. He's just going to be reliable. You mentioned uh, Drew Rasmussen earlier. and I mean, it seems like every week is that enough. And I know they're, they're just trying to push him through as he gets back and everything. But, I mean, talk about pushing a guy through. They are They are doing that with him right now. Yeah, uh, I mean, he's already played at Wisconsin, Carolina, and Biloxi this year. Had his third start today in the game that's still ongoing and ended up with six Ks. Uh, he's looked phenomenal. Um, one thing that worries about me, hurt me about Drew, is his um, fastball is a little straight. But as long as his velocity stays, I mean, he's touched 99 a couple times this year. As long as his velocity stays that high, that's nothing to be concerned about. His slider is looking better than it ever did in college. Uh, his changeup continues to be a good weapon, and those both can serve as out pitches. So you're really seeing um, a fantastic or like group of ass or of uh, traits and tools come together. Uh, he looks exactly like the guy who went in the first round a few years ago with the Rays, but wasn't able to sign. Or actually, I think two years ago. Um, and, I mean, Brewer fan, fans are justifiably excited. He has dominated every level he's gone through. He looks like an advanced pitcher. And I thought they were going to strictly develop him as a reliever and get him up to the majors. But today he threw 67 pitches. And before today, he hadn't thrown more than 50. So they're kind of building up his pitch level and really letting him go. Uh, where if they leave him as a starter... It's all, I mean, he has the potential to be a really dominant starter with his pitch mix. Um, the two Tommy Johns, of course, is incredibly concerning. You do not see a lot of success returning from that. Uh, he's a little bit of a unique case in that his second Tommy John was kind of to support his first Tommy John uh, after he was trying to come back from that. So I don't know if that makes it different at all. I'm not a doctor. I can't really say. Um, but... I mean, the early results are very promising, and he's already seeming like the biggest deal of the 2018 draft by leaps and bounds. And you hear him talk, he's talking about, so he already has three-plus pitches in his 99-mile-per-hour fastball, which is straight, so it's probably just average to above average, because even despite being 99. His above-average slider, which is a dominant strikeout pitch, um, it's looking better than it ever has before. Last year, I talked to him, and he said it's one of those pitches that's either exceptional for him or he just can't use. And this year, it seems like he has really locked into consistency. And I'm sure that's a result of the Brewer staff take, putting in a lot of time with them and getting him to be more consistent with it. And then his changeup is also a very good pitch that he can induce outs on. And now he's working on he wants to get a slower pitch. Because his fastball is in the high 90s, mm -hmm. and that means his changeup and his slider sit in the low 90s, and he thinks he needs to get to another lower speed to help keep hitters off balance. So he wants to develop yet another pitch to really help him keep hitters honest. I mean, he'd probably only throw it a couple times a game, but it's interesting to watch him talk about developing himself and really adding that next pitch. Um, 
And if he can add it and add it well, like he's done with his other pitches, there's no reason to see him not being more dominant than he's even already been. Man, that's a uh, that's a veteran move right there. I can tell you, and, and not so much at the big league level. I don't know if it works at the big league level, but I can't tell you how many guys I saw make really solid careers out of being good AAA pitchers. And you know, once you become a six-year free agent and keep signing those minor league contracts to play AAA baseball, you know, you're not getting rich, but you're making a pretty solid living. You you can do okay uh, as a as a career AAA kind of guy. And there's a lot of those pitchers out there that will just kind of throw in a batting practice fastball every once in a while, and it's effective for them. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I mean, yeah, just having that change of speed for him could be a big game changer. Yeah. Hmm. Uh, all right. So of everybody, we generally always see at least one p- guy, generally a pitcher, but sometimes position players. But we see guys who were at double A at some point in the year get to the big leagues. Is he the guy that you would tag right now who's maybe right now at Biloxi that has the best chance of being pitching uh, you know, at, at pitching at Miller Park at some point this year? Yeah, um, I think the earliest we see him is August, but I think that's a real possibility. Um, He has the talent to do it. Um, If they need the bullpen help, he can come in and he can be a reliable force in the bullpen right now. Uh, there's lots of. Well, I'm gonna ask you about one more guy, and we'll definitely circle back next time we have you on and get a few more guys. But uh, every time we talk about a team with this player on it, no matter how well he is performing or not, you are going to get a question, and you're also going to be expected to say glowingly glowing things about him because he is a product of Kansas State University, the Princeton of the Plains, my alma mater. Nate Greep. He's my guy because he's a K-State guy. Uh, Nate Greep, uh, the Brewers' most reliable closer for the last five years. Boom. Um, so he has been, you know, just the guy who goes out there and shuts down games every time he goes out there. I don't really see him as being a big league pitcher, oh. but I think he's that guy who uh, will be that flow between AAA and major leagues, come up, help out with relief when they need him, go back down. Um, and probably that guy you're talking about who can make a very solid career out of being that quad A type pitcher. No, he, he, much higher ceiling. Much higher ceiling, Brad. Uh, I mean, elite, elite, <laughs> elite ceiling uh, for Greep. I, I can't imagine the Grim Greeper doing anything short of the Hall of Fame. There, thank you. <laughs> Thank you. No problem. <laughs> um, all right, let's get to uh, AAA San Antonio. And um, before we even get into the guy, we saw Keston here get called up this past week, and that's we've talked a lot about him here already on, on the podcast. But just for for you as somebody who's been watching him come up through the system, how exciting is it for you as somebody who really pays attention to the prospects to see him get to the big league level? It's it's always thrilling when there's a guy who you kind of pegged as one of your guys and. Kind of a cheap peg, right? A first-round pick, top 10 pick uh, for the Brewers. But he was someone who I took to right away and someone who I had even written about before the draft as like, hey, if the Brewers snag him despite him being unhealthy, he is an elite bat. So for a guy you pegged and followed almost every at-bat, seen almost every at-bat, it's thrilling. Um, I think he is the first difference maker that the Brewers have had in their farm system in a long time. Uh, I think the phrase since Ryan Braun gets thrown out, I think that's accurate. I don't think he's as good as Ryan Braun. Um, but I think he is the Brewers' best prospect since Ryan Braun. Hmm. Uh, he, I think he's a guy who can shore down second base, which has been a big gap for the Brewers for the last couple of years. Um, and 
he's going to need some adjustment time. He's shown that a couple times. He's a little bit of a slow starter, but once he gets rolling, he just takes off. He tears off. I mean, he had an 1100 OPS coming out of triple a and that's where in his first like five games he had like 18 strikeouts like an insane number of strikeouts and then he had six strikeouts over the next 10 15 games because he figured it out and got back on top of it um when he's bad he's bad but when he's good he is something special um he's a difference maker who can really make an impact on the field and I, yeah, I'm thrilled that I finally get to watch him in HD and actually see his swing in very high quality. Uh, Lewis Brinson struggles pr- before and after the Yelich trade, and just the Yelich trade kind of tainted his uh, emergence as a Brewers prospect. So I'm going to ask you to try to go back in time to the day that Lewis Brinson got called up. Compare maybe your excitement level and your expectation level for Lewis Brinson the day he made his major league debut versus your feeling about Keston Hira making his major league debut? I think the hard thing about Lewis Brinson making his major league debut is it wasn't for a ball club that I expected to be competitive. So for me, it was like, cool, we get to see a glimpse of the future. And it was exciting, but it wasn't anything that was... It wasn't like getting the adrenaline pumping. Um, I did think Brinson was going to be special because I had been following him in the the Texas system for a little while. But at the same time, I don't think I had... I had like Carlos Gomez aspirations for Lewis Brinson. Carlos Gomez was a very good brewer, very reliable player, but he he was only special off and on. Where... I have much higher expectations for Keston Hira. Uh, Lewis Brinson felt like kind of like an Orlando Arcia, an Alcides Escobar type call-up, where you knew he was going to be reliable. Uh, you knew he was at least going to be a very good defender who might need a little bit of time to adjust to the majors. Turns out he might be a little bit worse than that. Um, but I don't think he felt like superstar special when he was called up. Okay. Uh, I I think it's interesting to compare the two because it's the two top prospects that have been you know most recently called up by the organization. Uh, Mauricio Dubon last year he was oh so close to getting the call up. I think if he doesn't get injured, we would have seen him wearing a Bruce uniform within a week of when uh, of when he got injured last year. Clearly, Keston Hira has kind of passed him because Hira's in the big leagues and, and Dubon's not. Uh, what's wh- where does Dubon stand now? I mean, you've, uh, you you almost have to compare him to kind of what's going on at the big league level. I think Dubon is the safety net guy, and I think he was that guy the entire time. Where if someone gets injured, if something goes wrong, and you need a guy to come up there fill in a month, two months, I think Dubon is that guy. He's still a reliable at bat. He's playing very well at AAA, um, but when they needed someone to come in and replace Travis Shaw, they needed a difference maker and a bat. Keston here is that elite at bat. He can come in, he can fill in for someone who already is a major league all-star. And I don't want to put those expectations on Hira. He is not a major league all-star, but he is more likely to give you quality replacement value close to what you were hoping for from Travis Shaw than Mauricio Dubon. Meanwhile, Dubon can come up if there's an injury or, say, Orlando Arcia takes a dive like he did early in the season. 
but you don't want him to come up and you don't want him to play utility. You want him to come up if he comes up and play every day. Um, so I think that's he. That's what you're looking for is if there's another injury, say Moose gets injured or Arcia gets injured, God forbid to both, he's that guy. But I think he was always kind of more the backup plan to Keston Hira. Um, and so whoever, if someone played bad between Shaw and Moose, Keston here was going to come up and take over second base and the other person was going to shift over to third base, like what's happened. Mm-hmm. And then the plan B was always Dubon. And he's still there. He's still a solid plan B. He's still a solid contributor. He's still going to be a high or a higher average speed guy um, who can create a lot of havoc on the base paths, um, get her, get on base regularly. And it'll be a probably solid producer in the bottom of the lineup. But Keston Hira is potentially a future three hitter. So I, I don't ever think there was as close a divide as fans thought there might be because of the excitement that Dubon had built up last season before getting injured. Were you at all surprised the team went with uh, Jacob Nottingham? Who's, he, he gets up because of familiarity and he's done a nice job, but David Freitas has been putting up really, really good numbers and they obviously went to acquire him as somewhat of an insurance policy? I think... If Freitas had more time in the system, it would have been him um, in the Brewer system because he was acquired right before the AAA season started. Um, but I think because he hadn't, they wanted him to get more regular playing time in the org, get more time to um, understand what the org's looking for, how it wants its pitchers to work, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and that gave Nottingham the leg up. Um, also, I think because this is a very temporary call-up, it's easier to do Nottingham, who you know can just get you through a game because he showed he could the last time he was up. Um, where I think if it were you were looking for someone to go along Manny Pena every, or you know, do Pena for three days and have someone in there every two days... I think Freitas would have been the answer, but I think because it was short term, it was easy to favor Nottingham. And when I heard that Pena might go down, Nottingham just seemed like the obvious answer. Lucas Ersig, he's been somebody who's been exciting. Has uh, kind of been viewed as a guy who's got a really good chance of being that third baseman of the future. He's never really been an average guy. His power numbers continue to be fairly solid. Uh, does, has he taken a step forward this year, or is it more of the same for him? I think he definitely has. He started off April exceptionally well um, and really looked like he had gotten back on his game. Uh, there's been some dip in his production. Obviously, if you look at his statistics, when he came out of April, he was hitting 277 with a 569 slugging, already had five homers. I think he's hit one homer this month, and it was today. Uh, but if you actually look at his numbers, he has been the victim of a batting average on balls in play. Uh, he has not had her. He, so there's been a lot of bad luck in the results that he's been getting. In his 149 batting average, he has a 206 BABIP, uh, which is very bad. Uh, but he he's still being patient at the play. He's not striking out a ton. Um I think he's still doing all the right things. And all you're seeing right now in his stats is just a dip because of bad luck. 
Uh, I'm really happy with the way he's been playing. I think the team's happy with the way he's been playing. And I do think he can still be that third baseman of the future. Um, I think there's a reason uh, that some of these lists that are made up of professional scouts and people with experience in evaluating minor league talent still put him in the top 10 regularly on Brewers lists um, because I, you know, the power is there and he shows that he can be a good hitter. Um, But right now what fans are seeing in the stat line is just a spell of bad luck for him that should correct itself. A lot of times when we talk about AAA, it's very much kind of, again, we, we do it kind of through the filter of the big leagues because of how much the two impact each other. And last week we talked a little bit about Jimmy Nelson. He had another good start. He's going to start one more time. And then the organization and Craig Council has basically said they got to make a decision on him at that point. Uh, how optimistic are you right now about Nelson and what he's going to be able to do after uh, one more start at AAA? Still very hesitant. Um, I want him to be a solid back-end starter. Um, but I think it's hard to anticipate anything from a guy who's been off for a year and a half from the sport, um, despite that he's been improving every time he's gone out. He went from being very erratic, having high walk numbers, to having almost no walks and striking out a lot of batters in his last appearance. Um, or uh, Yeah, he had one walk in his last two appearances, 13 strikeouts over 11 innings, uh, looked a lot better, gave up no runs in his last outing. Uh, but still, uh, he still missed roughly 18 months because of injury. You need to be ha- set your expectations low because of that, because it's just not fair to expect a lot from him. Um, coming back from a labrum injury and Labrum injuries are one of the most devastating injuries that pitchers suffer. I get that he suffered at running the base pass and not pitching, but it's still a muscle he uses regularly when pitching. Um, and it can be, I mean, and on both sides matter. So it doesn't matter if it was his dominant or his pitching side or his glove side. Um, I, I just want him to have a healthy year and one where hopefully he doesn't get the crap hit out of him and he's able to have solid production. Um, I'll be thrilled with anywhere between a four and a four or five ERA. Hopefully they really manage him and set him up for better success. Cause I think mentally that goes a long way too. Um, but yeah, that's kind of what I have set forth and forced myself into with Jimmy heading into this season. Zach Brown is the guy that a lot of people talk about. Uh, you look at his numbers, they aren't quite, uh, where they were previously. His ERA has gone up now in, I guess, five consecutive starts. Uh, and he's had some he's had some tough ones. He had an eight-run outing uh, against New Orleans, and that was at New Orleans, which is actually the most pitcher-friendly park uh, in the Pacific Coast League. What's going on right now with Zach Brown? Uh, he's just struggling with command. Um a lot of times when you her and when you look at like the evaluation on Zach Brown is command tends to be one of the things he gets pretty plus marks for his fastball and his curveball are his bread and butter, but he he's a pretty good command prospect. Unfortunately this year, that has not been the case. His walk rate is above 4%, which is uh, horrendous. And then he's not spotting his fastball, right? So then it gets the hell hit out of it when it's in the zone. And so leading to a huge spike in home runs, uh, never had, in his minor league career has he given up more than her over one home run per nine innings now he's at 1.2 the height of his career before was 0.82 in his first trip to single a 
Um, otherwise, his ground ball percentage looks good. Uh, he's you know still getting outs regularly, uh, and the ways that he's gotten them before. His strikeout numbers um, are a little bit lower. That's a result of being wild. So it's just something where he needs to work on his mechanics and get that corrected and hopefully get back into form and start locating like he was heading into the se- her coming out of last season, which gave him the ability to be probably the best pitcher in the Southern League. Three relief pitchers who we've already seen in the big leagues this year who are all on the roster in Jay Jackson, uh, Birch Smith and Taylor Williams. Uh, you know, somebody like Williams has been uh, around for a little bit. Which of those three guys do you think uh, has the? And, and I don't think even Jackson's off the forty-man roster, I believe, if I'm correct on that one. Yeah. Uh, but yep. even that being said, of those three, who do you think has the uh, highest potential to make an impact in the Brewers bullpen still this year? The the, the most impact in the Brewers bullpen this year? I still think it's Taylor Williams. Um, he's shown. Uh, I mean, he was the victim, I think it was in his last trip up, of uh, pitching into that uh, extra inning game and just going so far in that they weren't going to be able to use him for the next couple of days, but they needed pitchers in their bullpen because they used everyone else. Um, So he had some good outings at the major league level this year. Um, One of the reasons his stats look bad is because he was part of that game where every hitter was getting destroyed by Paul Goldschmidt against the St. Louis Cardinals early in the season. Um, I still think he's a very good major league reliever, um, maybe a victim of some of the injuries that the team has suffered, which has forced them into roles that he shouldn't be in. But in terms of a sixth and seventh guy, I think he's pretty good. He showed that last year until he started getting tired by doing a full major league season uh, and working his way through that. But I think he he is the most talented of that group. I really like Jay Jackson. I think Birch Smith is a perfect flex between a bullpen slash uh, fill in starter, uh, but Taylor Williams to me, there's a reason he's the one who's still with his original team, and it's because he's the most talented. Are you comfortable? I'll wrap you up with this. Are you comfortable right now with the way this AAA roster is set up in terms of being able to help protect the big league roster based off the way the big league roster has been used by Craig Council? The AAA roster has been implemented and used by Craig Council since he's been manager. Well, it's definitely not as strong as it was last year. Yeah. Part of that is because you have Corbin Burns, Brandon Woodruff, and Freddie Peralta up in the big leagues, uh, where Brandon Woodruff, after starting the year in the big leagues, had come down to AAA, and you had that stock of excellent, talented reserves that you can move up. Thankfully, because now the starting rotation is starting to get players healthy again, like Chase Anderson, Jimmy Nelson, that situation is kind of fixing itself. Uh, but in terms of if you suffer another injury, I think it's going to lead to some of the problems that we saw with the pitching staff in April. Um, Zach Brown is, he just doesn't have the stuff to be a long-term exceptional force in that bullpen. He doesn't throw hard enough. Uh, his curveball is great. Yes. But, um, even with the three pitch mix, I don't think he can really be a modern day reliever. Um, and then the other guys we have between Jay Jackson, your Donnie Hart, um, and your Burt Smith's Aaron Wilkerson, Adrian Hauser, they're those shuttle guys. While they're very good, um, at triple a and when you need them to fill in, I don't think they can offer that same long term fill in 
that the team was getting last year. And I just don't think it's as strong. I think it can definitely still help. I think it is still strong enough to fill in those short-term gaps and be implemented in the way they've been using it so far. But it's not going to be like in August when Corbin Burns comes up and Brandon Woodruff go into the bullpen and basically save a bullpen that had been overtaxed up until that point in the season. I don't think you're getting that from this AAA roster. He is Brad Ford. You can read him at Brew Crew Ball. You follow him on Twitter at Brew Crew Blue. I asked you this question at the end of last week. I'll ask it again. What do you guys have going on right now over at uh, Brew Crew Ball? Uh, everything. Uh, <laughs> uh, we just had a great article go up from uh, David Gibson, who is a fantastic evaluator, looking at some of the runners being stranded in scoring position and what that actually means. Um, obviously, a big problem for the Brewers over the last road trip. Um, we always have minor league content going up every day, reviewing kind of the top performers from the minor leagues. We have a weekly recap of minor league performance. Uh, we always have analysis on kind of what's going right or poorly for Milwaukee. Um, you can always rely on us for content like that. And we have a great community that regularly is available in our uh, comment section and in our fan post section whenever you want to just talk brewers with someone else you can always find someone there so i recommend checking out brew crew ball and uh, getting involved all right brad you have nine minutes i know people by the time people are listening to this but you have nine minutes till your uh games of game of thrones uh day uh, finale so thank you for your time and we got you out of here in time hey thank you for working with my uh awful media need no that's uh, you're you're not alone in it thanks brad yep Brad Ford joining us here on the podcast as we do start to wrap things up. Looking ahead, a couple off days this week for the Brewers. Comes at a good time. Chance for them to, and we'll see uh, maybe if the starting rotation is uh, moved around a little bit with the two off days, but uh, a, a good chance for them to finally kind of take a breath and try to find some normalcy like I was talking about uh, at the opening of the podcast. They'll play a quick two-game series against Cincinnati at home on Tuesday and Wednesday, a 6:40 first pitch on Tuesday, and then a 12:10 start coming up on Wednesday. They'll take Thursday off, and then they'll have a Friday, Saturday, Sunday series at home against Philadelphia, a team that they just took three or four from in Philadelphia. Uh, and then uh, they will hit the road once again to go to Minnesota and Pittsburgh coming up next week. But uh, five games at home this upcoming week, two against Cincinnati, three against Philadelphia. Of course, you can hear all the games on WTMJ unless there is a Bucks playoff game. And if there's a Bucks playoff game going on, you can just uh, head to the FM dial at 94.5 ESPN-FM, WTMJ's sister station, and you can find uh, the Brewers game there. And always uh, stick around after the game for my post-game show, Brewers Extra Innings. I do want to say thank you to my guests today, both Scott Warris and Brad Ford. We look forward to talking to you again next week for another edition of Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast powered by WTMJ Mobile. Thanks for listening to Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast. Matt will be back next week with another episode. For all the latest Brewers news, keep listening to a home of the Brewers. News Radio 620 WTMJ.